Hi, welcome to another episode of Six Feet Apart. I'm your host, Daniel Headley. This is a production of Cloud and Bridge and Ministry of Heights Cumberland Presbyterian Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Today, I'm interviewing Dee Brown again. I'm excited to be able to talk with him again, especially for this timely this timely podcast, though my heart is heavy. Welcome, Dee. Thanks, Daniel. Um, <clears throat> again, uh, like you, my heart is heavy, but I think it's a, a good time to, you know, just open that box and get in there and uh, hopefully at the end of this troubling time, uh, we come out with some resolution, some, you know, movement uh, in the right direction. That That is what we hope for. I think as we talk today, there's a couple things I would like to hear from you, but then I also want to make sure that this isn't just me directing. I want to make sure that you feel that you have the freedom to to take this conversation the way you feel it needs to go. So um, let's start with that. Um, I want you to set the tone, Dee. So share with me a little bit about, you, are, you just did, share with me a little bit more about how you, well, let's say flesh out what you just said a little bit more and, and help us think about the current situation, riots all over the country uh, in the aftermath of, of uh, unwarranted violence uh, against African-Americans. Uh, help us think of this in, in the right way as a Jesus follower. Uh, that's a tall order, but I, I will try my best. Uh, I, I think that we have been able to, I was just talking to a friend of mine uh, and expressing that the reason that this moment, in my view, uh, feels <clears throat> so different. Uh, I mean, I've, I've been on this earth for uh, 36 years as a black man and I've gone through a lot of different things, uh, many of them having to do with uh, my blackness or my outspokenness about certain things. And uh, I've seen a lot and uh, a lot has happened, but nothing like this. And it's not that today racism got worse. You know, it, it's that uh, somehow uh, a private citizen following a, a young boy, uh, Trayvon Martin, following him around thinking uh, that he shouldn't be there, calling the police and then telling him to leave him alone, him refusing to leave him alone, continuing to follow him, uh, getting, running up on him in some kind of way, uh, and when he allegedly tried to protect himself, being murdered, uh, much more of the country was very much okay with that than they are with this. Uh, um, and I'm not sure really why, uh, but part of it is just the length, I mean, the, the length of the video. and To really, 
Uh, that's a thing I, I honestly wish I had not watched. I'll be honest, D, I saw a few seconds and I realized I couldn't watch the whole thing. And I, I have not watched the whole thing, though I, I know what happened. And I've, read, I've read the details of it. Right. Uh, should we watch it? Something... Should, should we watch it, though, D? I mean, is, is, I mean, you know, there's a certain, is there a certain dignity in, in being, being with George in that moment and of his, the last moment of his life? That's really tough. That's really tough. I, I think that I think that anyone who has been silent about that and about the other, all of the other incidents, uh, you know, even in the last several years, uh, but has spoken up about. Uh, riots or looting needs to do some soul searching and maybe watching that video is part of that. Um, I think, like I said, I, I, in some ways wish I had just, you know, taken the word of the reports and not actually uh, watched it. But, you know, if, if are, you haunt, are you haunted by it, D? A little bit. A little bit, but I also feel like if that video had not been taken uh, and posted, <clears throat> that we wouldn't be in this time that we are in now. And while it is a troubling and difficult time, uh, it's long overdue. Yeah. Uh, it's it's the it is so very necessary. Um, that we really tear this thing apart, clean it up really well, and put it back together. What makes you feel like it's uh, different this time, G? Well, for one, um, so many of the other times before, I, I literally have had to take a social media break. I've turned off my Facebook or, or whatever, uh, like deactivated it uh, because <clears throat> I was coming across so many people that were almost seemingly gleeful about George Zimmerman being acquitted for murdering a child in the streets. Um, and I just... I just couldn't take it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not shy about digging into important issues and, or even having the difficult conversations. Um, but there is a point at which uh, nothing that I can say uh, it's going to be effective with a person who is fundamentally uh, not on the same page about uh, the sanctity of human life or, or anything like that with me um, or even that there is a race problem in America and so if I get to the point where I am uh, at a juncture where uh, I can't say that I won't act out of character in my words and in my 
delivery, then sometimes I just shut it down until I can gain composure, you know? And so in this situation, I have not had to do that because the overwhelming, overwhelming majority of people, all of the people, the companies that I have done work for and things like that have all initiated statements concerning uh, their feelings about the George Floyd situation in particular, but also um, just the importance that to them that I understand that his life and Black lives do matter to them. Uh, and that has been, that's the thing that I think uh, is different. I know it's different, at least in my personal experience. Um, <clears throat> I don't, I went to a couple of rallies uh, last week uh, and spoke br briefly at one and- In Albuquerque. I, yes. Uh, and the thing that I saw, especially particularly in the second one was <clears throat> probably at least 60 to 70% non-Black people who were uh, there and expressing that they were just as outraged as I am. And the importance of that, uh, not just to me personally, but for the possibility of change is immeasurable. Uh, that much of the problem in my, uh, that I see uh, with our country and our continued issues with race uh, is that a lot of the systems that were set up uh, for a country that had designated me as three-fifths of a man and uh, had legalized the enslavement and brutality of people like me. Uh, and uh, from, a, from a legal standpoint, denied our humanity are still currently in place. All of that infrastructure still exists. All of that language is still inked on documents. And it is something that has to be, uh, has to be actively addressed and changed. It's not something that over time is going to to change. Any change that we've gotten up to now uh, has been through blood and sweat and tears and uh, prayers and uh, fighting. And it's, and it's predominantly because it's very difficult to get people who are not uh, directly in danger to care enough to take up the cross along with those that are. Yeah, and now of course that happened um, in our civil rights movement. And then it seems like, I don't know, people got tired. It seems like, you know, there was a time when people marched alongside, you know, their African-American brothers and sisters. Uh, but, but then something changed. Yeah, and I'm not sure what it, what it was. And I, I realized, and I got off my point earlier, I was talking with someone 
uh, this past week, uh, another black person and, and, a, and a, I, we were saying that even though we have experienced a lot of stuff, um, the 90s and a lot of our life, um, we have not, uh, it hasn't been so in our in your face like racism for for all of us hasn't been so in your face it hasn't been okay to be anti-black uh in a way that was uh written or marched or spoken about uh for a long time and all of a sudden we we reached this point where that sort of representation of of racism and anti-blackness is uh is normalized again um for a lot of reasons you know uh, starting with people's uh, some people's dismay or and displeasure with uh barack obama being the first black president uh 11 years ago yeah and continuing on with an anti-obama president today who who uh, continues to push that sort of energy? Uh, well, he consistently very, he he consistently attacks Obama even today. Right, right. Um, and so, so we we've reached a point where the openness of racism is worse than it has been most of my life, uh, which is very strange uh, because <laughs> we've all been told that over time things would change they give it time and you know to the people would come around that those people would die off and their kids would uh wouldn't grow up with that same sort of hate <clears throat> and we we are learning now that it's simply not true and now white people are seeing and making that determination themselves and they're understanding that the opposite of racism isn't not being racist it's being anti-racist and that uh it's going to take that sort of energy and action to finally eradicate this or even begin to eradicate this from the dna and the culture of this country now yeah as i try to think through and rationalize and try to understand what's going on right you have people who feel like we're in a post-racial america which which isn't true i think i i think there was a time when i grew up believing that you know i i grew up you know thinking i'm just a little older than you are but i grew up thinking you know hey you know our parents addressed that you know we're we're on the way up you know this is going to be gone you know it's, it's you know my you know i i think i was optimistic that i would grow up in a world where this was in in the shadows um, you know, you know, kind of a distant memory sort of thing, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's not what's happening. Uh, however, I have to recognize that the civil rights marches weren't that long ago. I mean, there are still people alive right. today who, who mm -hmm. were, you know, teenagers, right? Who were right. in their 20s while that was going mm -hmm. on. And so the, the people who didn't agree with what was going on in, in the, during the civil rights era of America, there, a lot of them are alive today, and a lot of those people didn't agree with the new America that was being formed, and they raised their children, their families, to not agree with the direction we were going in. 
that's that's still that generation is still alive their kids are still alive so on the one hand i kind of like when i think about it if i just apply logic to it i'm kind of not surprised i guess that we still have these problems because generationally we're still in it right um, you know not not everyone agreed with the outcome of the civil rights movement correct um and you know you would think that by now people would be, would have come around to some extent but but you're right they they weren't bringing their kids to take photos at lynchings anymore but they were uh definitely still instilling those sorts of ideas in their minds and 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 honestly, it doesn't have to even be that that grotesque. It doesn't even have to be that ugly. Uh, it could just be that black people are lazy and they're the ones on welfare taking all our tax dollars. It could be that uh, <clears throat> black people just want a handout or, or you can hang out with those black people. Well, when it gets dark, you need to make sure that you're somewhere safe. Or just, yeah. it doesn't have to be the visceral that we all can instinctively uh, have distaste for. Um, and that's really the problem. You know, it's not that um, a lot of people think of racism as uh, active hatred. And, and so because that's how they view it, their their sense of uh, not being a part of it um, is accurate from that viewpoint, but it but it is inaccurate because uh, the the system was built uh, with that in it. Yeah, uh, and so you, we're we're all going to have to understand that if it's ever going to change. Uh, that we have to be uh, not just passively non-hateful, but actively uh, crusading and joining together to literally change uh, the way things are done, or change, uh, you know, the the culture of policing. Um, the, the same people that were doing. Uh, the slave patrols back in the day uh, whose job were to go and find uh, escaped humans and bring them back to enslavement or slaughter them. Um, that same culture is within our a lot of our policing. Um, and that's why in the 60s, the 50s and 60s, uh, when Martin Luther King and, and all of those people were marching, those cops came out uh, and traded their hoods for police helmets and beat people peacefully marching in the streets. That's why people are being beat peacefully marching in the streets today. Which, which I think we um, need to remember. We need to remind, everyone needs to be reminded that we do live in a country that theoretically grants all citizens the right 
the constitutional right to peaceful protest. It is absolutely a violation of an individual's constitutional rights to stop them from peacefully protesting. That needs to be, that needs right. to be remembered. Like, and, and, really I think, does, huh? and I think, I think sometimes people forget that. Like people, sometimes people think, well, you know, the police have the right to stop a protest if they need to. It's like, actually they don't, they don't they have don't. the right to stop a protest and, if and, it is peaceful, if it's peaceful. And, and if we're being honest, people only remember it when it's black people marching. We had a lot of people, even in New Mexico, marching with AK-47 in tote on the capitals all, all over this country. And none oh, of those oh. marches are, were, were stopped. None of those uh, people were jailed. Uh, and when there were alt-right marches and things like that, it just happened. Oh, but you know, the, but, but you know, the, until um, they were done. Our African Americans and Hispanic people, you know, we, we could all write, we could all march with AK 47s too, right? Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I couldn't even leave my house with an AK 47. Oh, my neighbors, who I see every day, I know. Uh, the, when I saw those photos of, of all those folks marching with firearms, my first thought was, I'm, I'm a Mexican man. I could never do that. I would literally right. be shot in the street because I was holding a firearm in public, right. period. It would just end right there. Right. And, the, and the public would say that it was, it was necessary because I was endangering the public. Right. But if, but if your skin's a different color, you can go out in public with firearms and you're considered a patriot. Right. Um, and that is the kind, of, the kind of stuff that has to, it really just has to change. And while I am very, very saddened and I, I literally have to sort of pep talk myself to be productive in this time. Uh, and, and, and that's all of that is all bad, but I've never seen this sort of solidarity before. Um, even to the extent that when people, you know, are dissenters uh, uh, to the notion that uh, this is something that we should all be fighting for, or that the, the simple and very, uh, very, I don't know. I don't even know how to express it. Uh, the simple and just very reasonable notion that uh, that my life as a black man simply matters, uh, not is more important than anyone else, just matters. You know, uh, is. I don't know. I just feel like that's a simple, easy thing that we should all be able to get on board with. Uh, and so when someone chimes in with all lives matter or blue lives matter, or some contrived movement that was literally 
created to uh, to be a, a antagonist to the Black Lives Matter movement uh, and not sincere at all, uh, that they are being shut down by white people. And I have never seen that until now. That's good. So, you know, you, you mentioned Trayvon Martin. Um, and, uh, and then, of course, you know, right before George Floyd, we had Ahmaud Aubrey and Breonna Taylor. I mean, we're talking within two months, these, these three murders occurred. Right. And, and the, and the Ahmaud Arbery uh, situation, we, a lot of time went by before we knew it. So it seemed like boom, 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 you know, even, even more quickly than two months. Oh, it was, it was less than two months, is that what you're saying? Well, when it became a big deal, uh, it was just maybe two weeks or so prior. Right, right. To, when people started talking it about it. It actually happened. Right. So it seemed, you know, that the energy, I think, from it, it, that we're experiencing today is because uh, although that was two months ago or, or so at this point, <laughs> us learning about it and the video and all of yeah. that happened. Right. And then. That's right. That's right. In a short period of time, these other two, I mean, and there's, there are others, but. Sure. You know there are ones that these are the ones that are high profile at the moment. And, and, and by the time we get to, to George Floyd, we're already at a boiling point, you know, um, but it feels to me, to, sorry, uh, just to your face, just to, to watch that man gleefully, almost hands in pocket, just, sit there and let that man die under his knee uh, for almost nine minutes. Well, let's be honest. He didn't, it's not that he let that man die. They took his pulse at six minutes. They knew he had died. They maintained pressure. And the thing is, the, these officers are trained. You know, you know a, a friend of mine is an officer uh, that, that has been trained on chokeholds. And, and when they train them to do that, they, they train it on each other. So like the officers give each other chokeholds and knock each other out. They do this sort of thing. To, and, and one of the things they're trained to do is to not go too far. So they know the line of when it's too far so that, you don't, so that way you don't cause brain damage, okay? And so for them to apply pressure and at six minutes check and see that there's no pulse and then maintain pressure for another two minutes and 46 seconds, that, that is an intentionality to ensure that, that George could not be resuscitated. That is, that is outright blatant murder. Right. And, I, and right. I, think, I think there's a point where you say, you know, what America got to see in that moment is America got to watch a lynching right. because it was recorded. Right. A lynching in, two, in 2020. Yes. America got to see a lynching in 2020. And, and, and maybe hopefully most Americans were horrified by that. Obviously not all, uh, but, but hopefully most. But I, I you know, I, I kind of felt like after Breonna Taylor, after um, Ahmaud Arbery, that, that, that this was going to be, that, that, the, that those two were just gonna be forgotten like all the others and nothing would happen. Um, that's what it felt like to me. Th those kind of felt to me like, well, here we go again. Uh, nothing will happen. 
we're just gonna keep going this way and we're not gonna change. Those, that's how those felt to me. And maybe you're mm -hmm. right, maybe, maybe this being you know, recorded in totality is making the difference. Yeah. I, I don't know. I hope so. Well, <clears throat> well, I think getting to a boiling point and then something this egregious, like of all, of all the other things, um, I, I've personally felt my, my, my feeling uh, is very cut and dry. Uh, I do not think that I think that outside of being uh, of your life being in danger as a police officer, like someone shooting a round or multiple rounds in your direction, uh, that part of a police officer's job should never be to kill anyone. Right. The job, it should if, be if to de-escalate. Right. If someone has committed a crime, especially a crime that has nothing to do with taking someone's life or anything that serious, um, and even if they are guilty, 100% guilty, and they take off running, we should not expect or allow our police officers to shoot them and murder them in the streets. Period. I agree. That's and someone's someone's uh, crime or uh, even even uh, having a history of a long term history of committing crimes uh, should not <clears throat> for a citizen or for a police officer justify murdering someone and and. and a police officer is a, is a servant to the community. And I just don't agree with that at all. <clears throat> and that's just in general. And I feel like our, our love affair with guns and I don't know, just having a, uh, if they, somebody comes at me, I'm going to kill them dead because it's my right. I disagree. I just, I don't think that that is the way. Uh, and it bothers me a lot that um, in 2020, it's, it's the, well, even, even back in the day, it's, it's for a lot of people, the Christian way. Uh, and I just don't see that. Well, we as Christians uh, are supposed Jesus. to value life, right? It's a very it's a very simple idea in its, at its core. We should value life in all its forms and protect it. Um, you know, one thing you see in Scripture over and over again, especially in the prophets, is God's judgment upon His own people. Correct. Right? His own people because they do not value life, and and it's not just and, and and it's really not just any life that He's calling them out for not valuing. He's calling them out for not valuing the poor, the widow, the orphan, and the alien among them. Basically, the oppressed and the underrepresented, the, the folks, folks who cannot um, defend themselves in society, folks who are needing the support of society, folks who are in the outcast, um, you know, outside, folks who are, who are not part of the group. Um, those are the ones that God calls out his people for not protecting, for not valuing, again and again in, in the prophet. And so much so 
that we learn that God actually allows the outside nations to take and, uh, you know, and essentially take over his own people because of right. their egregious sin. And, and so often you see Christians say things like, well, you know, um, when we have a leader like our current president, uh, people will say, well, you know, this is, this is how, you know, God used uh, ungodly kings in the past, right? Um, but they forget that God, in most cases, God used ungodly kings in the past to judge his own people. Right. It's not that he uses his un ungodly kings in the past to do the will of, you know, to, 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 be, to fulfill righteousness. It's that right. it, it's a judgment on his own people. Right. And it, it is a period of time that uh, in a lot of cases was meant to cause them to turn back to God. Yes. Uh, to God in a true way and not just uh, whatever it had, whatever it had uh, gotten to for that judgment to be necessary. <clears throat> right. That's the redemption arc. Right. And so right. the thing is, are, you know, how do we help our brothers and sisters who um, hopefully are seeing this, but maybe are slow to see it? Um, you know, how do we help them to see that it is not God's desire uh, to see this kind of activity in our world? I mean, it is God's desire to see the resistance against it. Right. Um, yeah, I, I, I really... That is the thing I'm having the most trouble with because what's very sad is that the believers are the ones that are not jumping on board as easy, as quickly in, in my view. Um, that's also, and, that's also what I'm seeing. So I, I will stand, and, stand with you in that observation. And, and, I, and it, it is, painful for me to see because these are these are my brothers and sisters for that reason but also because the rest of the world and the rest of the country uh, and the rest of our communities great and small are seeing that as well yeah and and, and just to clarify by seeing that you mean they are seeing the lack of support from the church Correct. And the lack of, so not, not only lack of support, but the, the people that are quote unquote making a stand to say all lives matter or George Soros was a thug. I, I don't know why we're tearing up our cities for him kind of things uh, that I do see uh, sprinkled in my timelines. Um, they're all preachers and outspoken Christians. Um, and here we are, you and I, uh, as church leaders, um, trying to point people in the direction of the love of Christ every day. And how do we defend that? What do we say about the way that the church is not, not only just being silent, which is bad enough, but actively 
resisting um, a moment that we're all hoping is different than the last, you know, that leads to some real change in it. And how do I, uh, as a as a black man, tell uh, black people who are um, on the fence or have turned away from their faith or have not yet tried Jesus uh, in their search for truth and answers in the world, how do I defend uh, this so public disregard for us by people that are a part of the faith that I'm trying to also contend for. Absolutely. One of the things that I grieve being Latino is that uh, my Latino brothers and sisters have not been quick or, and that's generous, <laughs> have not been quick to champion the cause of our African-American brothers and sisters. And I think this is part of the, you know, part, part of what you see happening with oppressed groups is that uh, empowered groups, well, it's easy for oppressed groups to see that, that they might get ahead faster, they think, they might get ahead faster if they just align themselves with the empowered groups instead of with the other oppressed groups. Right. And what well, you see, well, what it, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, you go ahead. Oh, um, and, and what you see happening is you see these fractured communities that if they were to come together, if all these fractured communities were to come together and say, we are all suffering together, especially under the banner of Christ and say, look, we're all suffering together. Let's, Let's encourage one another and love one another. But instead, what you see historically and even today is that these uh, oppressed communities are not coming together. And it grieves my heart, too, to see that. Right. Um, and, and what ends up happening when you, when you try to, to align yourself with, uh, with anyone other than the groups that have similar issues and problems that we could all band together and, and be a force is just assimilation. You know, uh, you're not going to change the status quo by joining it. You know, um, you just sort of are ducking some of the problems and, uh, but they still exist. You just are hoping that if you're closer to the source that you, uh, won't be as affected by it. And in and, and some small ways that may be true uh, for those making that choice, but for the masses, it never will. You know, we, we really do all, including uh, white people who are uh, desire to uh, see things change, have to all work for it together, and that's and that is what I'm what I'm seeing uh, more now than I've ever seen is you know people in other countries like uh, where there's not that many black people at all are having huge marches and rallies uh, for the same cause, and that's something different, you know. And I think uh, that the apartheid movement in, in, you know, in, in our lifetime, sadly, um, 
did not actually make the head rolls it needed to make until the world uh, was anti-apartheid. Not just disagreeing, but actually taking action. Yeah. Not not just not just mentally saying, I, "Oh, I, don't, I think that that's I think that that's wrong," but pressing for change. Yeah. I think this is an important thing to discuss um, coming together. You know, it reminds me of um, the police, the Asian American police officer who sat idly by while George Floyd died. Um, I don't actually know how to pronounce his name. Do you know how to say his name? Yeah. I don't actually know. Uh, T-O-U-T-H-A-W, Tau, Tau. I'm not sure how to say it. Um, but here we have an Asian American uh, gentleman um, standing by idle uh, while George Floyd is being murdered. This is, this is part of the problem, is that, uh, is that all these minority groups in this country uh, feel, and in many, they feel as if they're alone, right? I think of Latino people feel like they're alone in their, in their fight for the right to stay in this country. Um, you know, whether it be uh, to keep their parents here, uh, their children, their spouses, uh, just to get, you know, you know, they, they, they feel like they're alone in that. Uh, and, and so I, I feel like you have all these different groups that are all looking for a place uh, for the, in order to have a good life to, for themselves and for their children. And the reality is that applies to empowered people as well. And so you have, <clears throat> the reality is we have, since, since our country, our world has globalized and the manufacturing jobs have gone overseas, um, you know, a lot of work uh, has been lost in this country. And, and there are people who have tried to create a narrative that says you've lost your jobs because of the, the other people, because of those minorities, right? They've taken your jobs. Um, and 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 we have people creating division um, for the gain of uh, for their own gain, either either to get votes and to get into office, um, to justify their own ideologies, uh, other things I, that I can't even think of that you know I'm sure uh, to secure uh, a place for their own family, um, but. And, and, and it seems like, you know, like right now we have with, with uh, Donald Trump's um, isolationist perspective, you know, he, he's not interested in the idea that we're better off and we work together. That's not, that's not a philosophy that, that he embraces. And it's almost like we have this idea that, okay, we have these two camps established. We're either going to all be after the good of our own and our own people, um, or we're all going to work together. And, and, and we're drawing lines, right? Right. Um, and I find it amazing, honestly, that we're even having this debate. Like how, <laughs> and that Christians are getting drawn into it. You know, how is it that Christians are believing this narrative that says uh, we're, we're best off if we, if we just stick to our own? You know, we're the right. same group that claimed to want to bring the message of Christ all over the world, that all, all nations, all peoples 
should should have the love of Christ in them. The same group that oh. says that is saying this other thing that we should isolate ourselves and not come together. Well, here, here's the the biggest problem, and, and you know this might be controversial, but I'm sure some people might think that the things we've already talked about are extremely controversial. So here we go. Uh, the problem that I see with the church and this, uh, and a lot of things, honestly, is that we have allowed nationalism uh, and, and this sort of sick false patriotism uh, to seep into the fabric of our religion. We have a, an Americanized Christianity uh, that stands for the flag above the Bible. And, 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 and the Republican Party. Right. Um, and the problem with that is that Jesus and the scriptures are, uh, are infallible. They are, you know, the, the word of God um, and God as an entity uh, is incapable of injustice. Whereas our country is not. Um, and we as a nation, uh, and at least us as a church, has to have, have to decide that, that our that if, if the United States falls tomorrow, Jesus Christ will still be king. Amen. Um, and really, it has nothing to do with the United States. Our, our, you know, this is a place uh, that uh, on paper, if you take out some of that three-fifths stuff and on weirdness, seems like a great place to live. Uh, and it would be, and sometimes can be. And for a lot of people, can be all the time. Um, and that's cool and all, but it has nothing to do with Christ. You know, uh, it's standing or falling or it's uh, being wrong or right on a, on a subject uh, has really nothing to do with what our mission on this earth as believers is. Uh, it, it, it would it, be the same mission where it'd be the same mission if we lived anywhere else. Yeah, it turns out when Jesus started this project, it, it was a really, really bad deal to follow Jesus. Right. You know? And it still is, even as a believer. Yeah. And that's what's sad. And I think what you're talking it's very, about... I, it's very... <laughs> go ahead. No, no, please, finish your thought. Uh, it's, it's very strange uh, for me to feel the way that I do, uh, and much of it be because of um, how I see Jesus in scripture, um, and to try to be a peacemaker, and, and to try to judge, uh, to do the judgment internally, and not beat the world up with the Bible. Um, 
because of Jesus and because of how different he acted from the establishment church at the time uh, when he was on the earth. Um, and another person feels that everything I do and say is wrong um, because of the Bible. <laughs> and I just, it's really, really difficult to, uh, to be a part of that in this time, you know, and for me, my, my faith is very steeped in my personal experience with Christ. Um, to the extent that I'm not a person, uh, no matter what I go through, no matter how life changes, that could ever deny the existence uh, of Jesus and his power in, the, in this world um, and in my life specifically. But had I not had those experiences, uh, it would be really hard for me to find uh, what is being, you know, uh, so greatly championed in this time uh, by the church, at least, at least uh, the uh, conservative uh, movement, uh, Christian conservative movement in, in America, it's very difficult for me to be attracted to that uh, if, if I was looking for answers without any experience with Christ. Uh, and that is what saddens, saddens me more than anything else. Because uh, America can have its problems and its history uh, and it can struggle to work through those things uh, but the church should be about truth and justice, no matter what. Amen. Uh, you know, and and this 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 country could be going through all of this, and the church be on the side of uh, what's right, right? You know, what's the side of not murdering some man in the streets uh, for allegedly using the counterfeit twenty? Uh, I, I've never seen the cops calling anyone with a counterfeit dollar ever. Uh, I've, I've definitely been buying people and they use a little marker on the dollar and it shows that it's not real or whatever. And they just give it back and say that they can't take it. Everybody moves on. Well, yeah. And it's not like George Floyd was creating counterfeit bills. I mean, correct. And that's, I mean, that's, I mean, that's I mean, what God, any thinking person it's would like, say. It's like God knows any one of us may have had a counterfeit bill in our wallet one day. That doesn't mean we're running a counterfeit bill fabrication. Scheme. We've probably all spent a counterfeit dollar when someone wasn't paying attention because we didn't know we had a counterfeit dollar. These dollars go through everyone's hands. You get what you get. Exactly. You know, all this, I have so many things running through my mind. And of course, we have limited time. But one of the things that comes to mind right now is there's this idea in the military that uh, no man is left behind. It's, it's a beautiful idea in, in our American military, right? And soldiers will go to great lengths to recover even, even the body uh, you know, of a deceased uh, um, soldier. Mm -hmm. There's great dignity in that. And, and as I think about what you're saying, and, and you, know, you, you made me think about how uh, when you said that it's, it's great for, and to live for this country for a lot of people, right? And the reality is that's true. You know, I've had a great life in this country so far. I have a wonderful family and I live in a good home. I have a good job. 
it'd be easy for me to say, hey, what's, what's with you all? Come on, just, just go to work, just do your job. Uh, just, you know, why do you have to stir up problems? You know, why do you have to make, make it, you know, you're, you're ruining my weekend. You know, I mean, and I think there's right. people who are, who feel like life is fine. Like, why are you making so much fuss? And I think, I think, I think this idea of no, no soldier left behind or no man left behind is, is kind of what we need to be adopting here because, because the reality is it's not just that it's for one or two people that life is not great here for. There are a lot of people who are struggling deeply in this country who work, who work very hard. You know, like I I think about, I think about um, my, my Mexican brothers who, work a, a day job on the roof of a house, you know, roofing, re-roofing a house, and then they work a night job in a kitchen. Um, and both those jobs pay nearly minimum wage. And, and honestly, I don't work as hard as those guys do. At all. I don't work I don't that hard. I don't work that hard. <laughs> I make a lot more money than they do, and I don't work that hard. You know, and, and the reality is, like, and like you said before, there's no one who deserves to die for, for the things that, uh, you know, like, counterfeit 20 even if it was even if even if george was creating counterfeit 20s even if he had a whole backpack full of counterfeit 20s and he knew they were counterfeit it turns out that's not a death sentence in this country that's prison time but we don't execute people for that and and i and i feel like it's it's easy you know it's funny i uh you ever watch nature movies or nature shows, you know, like National mm-hmm. Geographic or whatever you, you watch these shows, Planet Earth and all yeah. that. And you, and you mm-hmm. see the big herd of, uh, you know, whatever, pick, pick your herd animal, know. whatever it is. Right. <laughs> and then, and then there, there's the, uh, there's the lion prowling in, you know, in, in the bush and then it, and it leaps out and catches one. Right. And of course the whole herd starts to, starts to move away when they realize that one is being chased. The lion captures one and, and what happens when that happens, the whole herd keeps going. And, and we watch that. We watch that and we go, gosh, that's rough, man. Like they don't even stop and try to rescue their downed compatriot, right? That, it's like, you know, the whole herd keeps going. And we look at that and we think, man, that's rough. You know, uh, it, it must be rough to be an antelope because the, you know, the rest of the herd doesn't care about you. But doesn't that sound a whole lot like what's going on <laughs> amongst people? Right? It's like we see this happen. And society just moves on. Well, you know, I mean, he, he probably, he, he was resisting arrest, you know. Uh, it just, you know, just, just don't resist arrest and you'll be fine, you know. And, but that, that, the problem with that is that you're, you're, just, you're stating that you feel uh, comfortable with persons that resist arrest. Oh, I'm not saying that. Murder. I'm not saying no, that. No, 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 no. I know you're not saying it, but the person that would make that statement right is comfortable with someone resisting arrest being murdered and i don't think that that's actually true i agree they I think, just i think if they their father are, right if that happened to their family member they wouldn't just say that they right. wouldn't say well my brother shouldn't have resisted arrest so hey you know that's what happens right they wouldn't even say that if it was a 15 year old white person right um, and and the 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 issue is that we have to actually own our mess as a country. 
really own it, really as a collective and, and individually, really take a really long look in the mirror, really long look at our the causes that we've championed and then the ones that we have been anti. Um, and, and really be honest with ourselves because only at that point will we, can we even be in a position to start to actually change it, change the way that we think, change the way that we operate, change the biases that are not necessarily intentional or that we're not necessarily thinking through, but something about Black Lives Matter makes me uncomfortable. Is that, is that a problem of someone else or is that your problem that you need to work on? Something about, you know, calling out cops for doing their job. You know, yeah, I wish that guy hadn't been killed, but you know, something about not being for the police makes me really uncomfortable. Is that a problem that is someone else's problem or is that a problem that we need to look and and within you know and address those types of things are how we can be in 2020 uh and still uh these kinds of things happen and many people still feel uh just fine they're going through their day they're po they're they're actively getting on people's posts uh today i saw posts uh the mayor in Washington, D.C. had Black Lives Matter painted in, in yellow on uh, one of the major streets. Very, very uh, big and apparent. And someone, a pastor, a local pastor here in New Mexico, uh, got on a post and said, a total waste of paint and tax dollars. Wow. Like this isn't just seeing it and saying, ugh, which is bad enough. It's actively signing your name to that kind of rhetoric. Yeah. Uh, as, a, as a local pastor at a Pentecostal church with black members. Maybe not anymore. Maybe. Yeah, and that you know, sort of comfort level um, is is almost the same as well. I, I won't say I won't go that far, but it's the same type of energy as being filmed choking a man out on the street, and at least someone filming it and seeing it doesn't cause you to pause and say, "Yeah, you know what? I better chill." Yeah. It's the same energy. It's a different level, but it's the same energy. Um, and that has to be dealt with uh, in this country uh, before we expect any, any real change to take place. Because everything else is just uh, half measures or, or things that, like even, even the civil rights movement, um, the things that were accomplished were, were great. And they were so needed and they're important even to this day. 
but it was not the fulfillment of uh, of what the dream was, and it wasn't, and it's not the fulfillment of what was necessary. It doesn't bring uh, black people and, and and those that are enfranchised to it didn't bring those black people and those that are disenfranchised uh, into equity. Uh, it just basically was a start. And now after so much time, more has passed. Will we address it uh, in, a, in a more complete way today? I don't know. But I hope so. Well, I feel like I'm going to call our listeners honestly to lament and to keep and to have the courage to keep lamenting. This is a hard thing, right? It's tiresome. We, we want to stop. We want to stop thinking about hard things and suffering. But there are people in our world who can never run away from that, they, whose lives are, are you know, it, it doesn't mean they're always thinking about these things, but it means that it's, it's an ever-present reality for some people in our society. And as we think about, um, you know, as brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, what does it mean to not leave to not leave people behind, you know, is it is it good for us to advance uh, um, while others are disenfranchised and left behind? You know, should shouldn't we think about that and 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 do something about that, right? Be part of changing our systems and and be and be the voice for society that says this isn't right. In some right. ways, in some ways, you know, the, the, we have this huge um, struggle. Uh, today, political struggle where uh, large fractions of our ch of the church are aligning themselves with conservative politics and and speaking about liberal liberal uh, thinking uh, folks as if they're the enemy. Um, but when people who disagree with the conservative movements, you know, people in the liberal camp, to use that term, when they are when they are speaking about truths that align with Scripture. Christians need to stop and say, hey, um, we may not agree on everything, but we certainly should agree on the sanctity of all life. And it doesn't matter what your party is. If this is the place where we should all come together, right? Do black lives matter? Yes, they matter. And do all lives matter? Of course. Like what kind of a stupid question is that? Yes, all lives matter. And yes, black lives matter. Absolutely. You know, that's, that should not even be something we're debating. This is, this is a, this is a reality and to call it out and to say, and to say that this is something that, that we should all stand behind. Um, I don't think we should be debating these questions as Christians. I think we need to be, we need to be unified uh, for the sake of the gospel on earth. D, I, 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 I'd like for you to close us in prayer this time. Are you willing to do that? Lord, uh, we come to you uh, with heavy hearts, but also with the understanding that no matter what is going on uh, around us, that uh, you are still ever present for us to comfort, to heal, and to deliver even in the most trying times of man. 
and we thank you uh, for your example on the earth and the record of that that we can look to to know your compassion and to know your uh, your justice and your and that truth and justice uh, are very important um, in this world. And we believe uh, that we've come to a time uh, where some significant changes uh, in a country that we, uh, more than we would like to admit, uh, it's very steeped in racism and, and inequality. Uh, but we've come to a time that, that some of those things uh, are at the forefront of our discourse once again. And we ask that uh, like the civil rights movement in the 60s and like the anti-slavery movement before then, uh, that you empower uh, those that are willing to stand up for truth and justice uh, to be able to push against the system and make some real change. We ask that you, that you touch our leaders uh, on every level, in every city, in every state, uh, in every country in this world. Um, Turn their hearts, soften their hearts so that the people can be heard and valued and understood and that uh, legislation can be drafted and passed and signed, that systems can be reviewed and adjusted and that others can be torn down and rebuilt so that we can really, in this country and in other places, truly stand for equality and freedom and justice for all. We know that only you have the power to make such a shift in the world. And it's a shift that we need and have needed for so long. But by your power, be with us, press against spiritual wickedness in high places and over every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ as we press in in prayer and in action on our own, cause us to come together and to do away with all of the divisive rhetoric and things even in us that would keep us from being able to be unified in the things that are right. We ask that you let your perfect will be done. In Jesus' mighty name.
Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Thank you well, for having me, man. We pray for, uh, we pray for change together. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. God bless you, D. You too.